Good evening. Wonderful to be with you tonight. And it has been a real privilege to be here all week. I'm going to miss you all, actually. It's been wonderful, and I know I have been away from my family all week. But they don't listen to me like you do. (laughs) No, it has been special to be here, and we don't take for granted just how the Lord has been with us and touching lives. It's been wonderful. It really has a sense of his presence and fellowship with you all. Uh, I'm going to remember it very fondly for a long time. So thank you for having me and to, to the committee and all you folk that have organized it. Thank you. And for Tom's kind words tonight, they were very touching. Thank you. Uh, but God's not finished yet. In fact, when this week's over, for some of you, it's only starting. And we praise God for what he's doing in people's lives. It's quite remarkable. And we give him all the glory and all the praise. For without him, we can do nothing. And that's real. And just as I come to you tonight again, I realize the import of that statement. Without the Lord Jesus, without abiding in the vine, without his life, we can do nothing. But let's not be defeatists, for we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And isn't that wonderful? To know the boldness and the confidence that we have in him to do stuff when we're operating in his strength and upon his promises. Returning again to Ephesians chapter 6. Uh, I'm sure I had more to say than that, but I can't remember. Ephesians chapter 6. Actually, close your Bibles and we'll recite it from memory. You should be able to do that by now, shouldn't you? No, I'm only joking. Verse 10 of Ephesians 6. But before we read, let's pray. Okay, let's come before the Lord and seek his face. And as I helped you hope a little bit last night when we were experiencing that heaviness, which I don't sense is here tonight, uh, I told you about how to rise up in your spirit. Rise up in your spirit and ask God to come. But I want you to do it again tonight. Uh, And it's not so much in a battle now, but it's really imploring the Lord. Lord, come in this final night of this Bible week. Come and meet us. And maybe the Lord hasn't yet met your need or touched you or revealed himself to you in a special way. Maybe you feel left out. All this talk of blessing and all the rest, God speaking. Well, let this be your night. Rise up in your spirit even now and say, Lord, come and speak to me and meet with me. And let's corporately pray that there'll be a real tangible sense of the presence of God in the place tonight. It's wonderful. I just love the presence of God. You know, and and I really, and I don't want to be controversial. It's hard not to be at times, I have to say. But a preacher, a a very well-known preacher recently said, and it was quoted to me, by someone who was contending with some of the views that I would have about the presence of God. I believe there's a real tangible sense of God's presence. And this preacher was quoted and has been quoted all over the world as saying, I haven't a clue what the presence of God is. Now, there is a view that God can only be known in our minds, intellectually. And that's where a lot of evangelicalism is today. (laughs) But if you've been here these nights, you'll know that God has been revealing himself to more than our heads. So let's come and seek him with our spirits. God is spirit. And they that worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Let's pray and let's seek God. And ask him to speak to us tonight. O holy, heavenly, Abba, Father, we come to you in the mighty, all-victorious name of our Lord Jesus Christ, who alone is worthy. We come through your beloved Son, in whom you are well-pleased, in whom is all your delight. Lord, we want to say to you, we're delighted in him too. We love him. And we just want to know him more because he is the express image of your person. And he said, whoever's seen me has seen the Father. So, Father, would you reveal yourself to us 
through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit, whom Jesus promised would reveal him to us. So, Father, Jesus is revealing you, and the Holy Spirit is revealing Jesus, and Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we want you tonight. We want the full triune Godhead to come in accordance with your promise. If anyone love me and keep my word, my Father will love him, and we will come and make our home with them. We all say amen to that, Lord. Come and make your abode with us tonight. Come and speak right into our hearts. Come and meet those who have need. Save those who are lost tonight. Restore those who have gone and bypassed meadow and are wayward and backslidden. And revive and stir up your saints. Deliver those who are oppressed by the devil. Touch those who need to be healed and transformed in mind, body, and soul. Come, Lord, we pray. Come on this final night. You who are able to do exceeding abundantly more than we could ever dare to ask, come and show us your power, Lord. Show us your love toward us. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Verse 10 then, Ephesians 6. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Amen. Well, uh, if you haven't been with us during the week, where have you been, for a start? But uh, you've missed the whole armor bar. Well, one or arguably two pieces that we're going to look at tonight. Tonight we're looking at the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and the secret weapon. Hmm. Do you know what the secret weapon is? Well, we'll see it a little bit later, if you haven't already guessed. But we have looked at... The fact that we're in a war and the need to be alert to that fact, there is a battle on. And uh, we ought to be knowing the heat of it. If we are going on with God effectively, we are going against the tide, not just uh, in this world, in the system of the world, but in the spiritual sphere, we are going against everything that the powers of the enemy has intact. Uh, in, the, in his, 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 his universal framework in, in this world in particular. So we should know and be very aware that we're in a battle. But the question that we've been considering these nights is how to be overcomers rather than overcome. And we've looked at the belt of truth, the need that there is for truthfulness and transparency before God, with ourselves and with each other. It is the truth that sets you free. Grace always meets you on the grounds of truth. Grace and truth come together. So you need to be honest with God and walk in the light as he is in the light. The breastplate of righteousness, the enemy is the accuser and he wants things to stick upon us that he accuses us of. He wants us to walk in guilt and shame. And all of us are guilty. I mean, we're all feeling. And yet if we allow him to immerse us in condemnation, we will never rise to the heights, the heavenly blessings of this salvation that God intends for us. That is why we don't put our own righteousness on, but the righteousness of Christ. And we see that the breastplate covers the heart. For out of the heart are all the issues of life. And we need to be secure, not in our goodness or good works that we're meant to be doing them. We're meant to be secure foundationally upon the righteousness of Jesus Christ. 
And that's what we plead whenever he accuses us of sin. We plead the righteousness of Jesus. Then there were the shoes of the gospel of peace, speaking of where we're standing on victory ground, how secure we are. And that gives us peace, peace of mind, peace of heart, peace with God, but the peace of God that passes all understanding. And then we looked at the shield of faith with, with which we quench, we extinguish all the fiery darts of the evil one. And we saw that that shield actually speaks of the promises of God that we can trust in, and God himself, who is our shield and our exceeding great reward. It is God who is round about us, protecting us. And then last evening, we looked at the helmet of salvation. Uh, it's also referred to as the helmet of hope in the book of 1 Thessalonians 5. And we saw that we need to have this knowledge of our salvation, who we are in Christ, what he has done for us at the cross and the resurrection, what accrues to us in the good news of the gospel. We need to know that, but it needs to be an experiential knowledge where every day we're returning to our center of who we are in Christ. We're not listening to the lies of the devil. Even if we have failed him, we're not listening to his accusation, but we're returning to what God says about us in the Lord Jesus Christ. But we saw that this helmet is hope. And if we are hopeless or despairing, we need to put this on. We need to hope in our God. It's on the head, this hope. We have an anchor within the veil. Some of you BB men could sing it for me tonight. Steadfast and sure. That's our hope, the anticipation of the promises of God. That our faith in, but hope is living in that anticipation. That will deliver us. And you have hope of deliverance tonight. Maybe you've come here this evening and you're not free of that bondage that has been in your life. You need to put on the helmet of the hope of deliverance. You make this your night. You anticipate and expect that tonight you're going to get free or that loved one is going to get free. Not hopelessness, but hope. But we've got to move on tonight to verse 17, the second part, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, again, we're back to this Roman soldier. And uh, we may make the mistake in thinking that what is being spoken of here is commonly known as a broad sword. And again, I keep referring to the films because it's often how we've learned about these uh, old worldly things. And whether it's films or uh, classical books or, or whatever stories, we, we have this concept of this big, broad sword that we sort of have to wield with both our hands. It's so heavy. But that is not the sword that is mentioned here and referred to. This is a two-edged cut-and-thrust sword, and it was wielded by a, a heavily armored legionary. But it's very distinct from the broadsword. It's a short, small sword. And we see the significance of that later on. But you know, it was Peter who, who tried to defend Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane by the physical sword. And later, he found out that the spirit sword is far more effective. And there were more slain with a spirit sword on the day of Pentecost than Peter could ever have slain with a, a sword of, of the flesh. It does a better job. A physical sword pierces the body, but the sword of the spirit pierces to the dividing of the very spirit and soul. Turn with me to uh, Hebrews chapter 4. This will be a verse that is familiar uh, to most of you here tonight. Hebrews 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living and powerful. Let's just pause there for a moment. Do you know that the book that you have in your hands is living and powerful? It's alive. Uh, I'm told by, by men that can remember it that years ago, at the front of the custom house steps in Belfast City, used to be the place where people would go for open airs, uh, not just religious ones, but political ones. They would go there to preach in all sorts of different types of philosophies and ideologies. But uh, open-air gospel preachers would go there as well. And there was one in particular, and he used to have this skip where he, a bowler hat, and uh, he would 
have the bowler hat in the middle of the courtyard and he would cry, it's alive, it's alive, it's alive. And this crowd would start to gather. When everybody would gather, he would shout, it's alive, come on, come on, see this, it's alive. He would lift the bowler hat and there was a Bible underneath it. This book is living. Uh, I, I love when I get the chance to read certain missionary magazines and periodicals. Um, but one that I love to read is the Gideons. And it's just marvelous to realize how many Bibles, whether it's in a hotel room or a prison cell, without a preacher in between, and I know God has ordained the foolishness of the message preached to save some, but how God at times can bypass the preacher because his word is living. And how people have just opened the Bible and found Christ and been totally transformed in a supernatural experience, just them and God and the Bible. I love to hear stories about that. Because this book is a living book. And we as the church of Jesus Christ, if we're going to see revival, and I believe we're, we're seeing little droplets at times, but I believe God wants to do great things in a very short period of time soon. But if we're going to see it, we need to rediscover our belief in the power of the Bible. And if we're honest, churches have given up on the Bible. We no longer believe in the power of this living book. Now, maybe, maybe it's because it hasn't been preached in power. And you know that the letter alone kills, but the Spirit makes alive. So you need the Spirit that inspired these pages to also inspire the preaching of it. That's vital, as we'll see in a moment or two. But let's get back our faith in the Word of God. It's living. Look, see what it does. Sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Now listen, there's something, there are many things that God can do that you and I can't do, but you can look at me and you might think I'm, I don't look too bad and I'm a nice Christian fellow maybe and uh, maybe I can string a few words together and maybe the Lord can use me here and there and, and uh, you, you see my itinerary there and you think, boy, boy he's a great fellow there. But there's something that you cannot know and cannot judge. And you know what that is? And this terrifies me to say this. My motivation. My motive. And by the way, you can't judge anybody else's motive. That's why judgment is such a serious thing. When we judge other people. Because we're actually presuming to have a knowledge that only God has. Because we might see a person's actions, but we can never judge their motivation because that's a thing of the heart. But you know who can? It's God. And the Word of God is able to weigh and judge the in thoughts and the intents of the heart with such surgical precision that just as bone and marrow were almost indistinguishable, the sharp razor edge of the sword of the Spirit is able to divide between spirit and soul. That's interesting. I wasn't planning on saying this, but... That which is of the flesh is flesh, and that which is of the Spirit is spirit. And we talked the other night about soulishness. Living our Christian life, or even exe executing Christian ministry from the soul, which is the mind, the emotions, and the will, but not the spirit. God is spirit. They who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. The Word of God, applied by the Spirit, is able to dissect between those who are operating on a soulish basis and those who are operating in the spirit. You with me? And the spirit is the life. Just as the marrow is the life of the bone, the spirit is your life, your identity. And that's where the Holy Spirit chiefly resides, the Holy of Holies in you. Just like the marrow is the life of the bone, and the bones, the joints, express life, the soul expresses life. But the soul is meant to express the life of the spirit in you, and the Holy Spirit residing in your spirit. You with me? So your thoughts, your feelings, and your actions are meant to express the Holy Spirit in your spirit. Not self. Not flesh. Boy, this word is powerful, isn't it? The physical sword wears out with use, but the Spirit's sword gets sharper with the use, and it cuts both ways. It's a two-edged sword. And we've seen it in these meetings, and I see it 
on a regular basis. You've got conviction and conversion on, on, on the one hand, or in fact, conversion one side and convictions the other side. Now, you need conviction for conversion, of course. But there are those who cry out, like we see in the Acts of the Apostles, what must I do to be saved? And they get saved. When the apostles were preaching, there was that cry from the crowd, what must we do? People were cut to the quick. And then when, when Stephen was preaching, they were cut to their hearts as well. And, but they didn't cry out, what shall we do? It says they ran upon him and they stoned him. So the conviction, the two-edged sword, can either lead to conversion or to condemnation, depending on a person's response. The Word of God is so powerful. I want you to note that every piece of armor that we've studied so far has been a defensive piece of armor. And this sword of the Spirit is the only offensive weapon that God has given us. Now that is very instructive. That is very instructive. Every other piece of armor stops the enemy getting at us, but this is for us. The sword of the Spirit is for us to go at the enemy. And this is so practical. I'm, I'm going to do an illustration. Tom, would you come up here? I didn't warn him about this now. So don't be blaming him if it all goes wrong. Now, Tom, you're adorned with the armor of God. Can you see it? Can you? Huh? It's obvious, he says. It is, isn't it? He's a raging, roaring, bold lion in the Lord. Uh, he's adorned with, with the armor, okay? And Now, I know this is really going to push your imagination. Really going to push your imagination there. But try and imagine I'm the devil, okay? Okay? And I'm coming. This is a child of God, and I'm coming at him. The Bible says, what, what do I fire at the child of God? What is it the devil fires at? Fiery darts. And we talked about how we are, incent uh, we are flammable and how these incendiary devices will hit us in weak points. Okay, so I'm coming against you, Tom, right? With my fiery darts. My fiery darts. And what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? Now, what's he doing? He's putting up the shield of faith. And that's correct, isn't it? Why? Because the Bible tells us the shield of faith is what quenches the fiery darts of the enemy. But as I'm going at him with the darts, what's he doing as the shield's there? He was moving back. Instinctively, he was moving back with the shield. Thanks, Tom. God bless you. <laughs> now, here's a problem. When we only engage our defensive weapons, even if we are using them, and, and, and a lot of us haven't learned to use them, but even when we're only engaging the defensive weapons, we can be moving backward. When we've been given an offensive weapon of attack that the devil hates and is deadly to him. So when he's attacking us, we should be defending ourselves, but we should be going forward. And we should be thrusting him through with the sword that God has given us. And that has been a revelation to me. I can be utilizing this armor and defending myself correctly by faith, but not moving forward, actually being on a backward footing, not using the sword of the Spirit. Are you with me? There's a wonderful verse uh, in, in Revelation chapter 12 that tells us this sword, two-edged sword, comes out of the mouth of the Lord Jesus Christ. This sword is the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit, it's in the mouth of Christ. He is the Word, isn't He? John 1, verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. He is the living Word. And of course, the Word is the expression of the mind and the heart of any of us. We speak, we communicate our thoughts and feelings through language. Equally, God expressed His mind and His heart, His thoughts and His feelings toward us through the Word, the Logos, Jesus Christ. And this sword of the Spirit is coming out of his mouth. But you know what the mighty message tonight for you as a child of God is? That same sword is in your hand. They're not powerful. Look quickly with me at Psalm 149. Hope you're getting excited. Psalm 149. Verse 6. 
Let the high praises of God be in their mouth. That's the saints of the Most High. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand. Now, here's a, a, a little help for you tonight. When you're battling against the enemy, have the praises of God in your mouth before you utilize the sword in your hand. And if you want to learn about warfare, whether it's, and we've been talking, and I should have said this at some stage, we've been talking really about personal warfare this week. But you see spiritual warfare on a corporate level as churches and even as towns and cities and communities, that's a whole other thing and it's a huge subject. Uh, and I'd love to deal with it at some stage somewhere. But it's massive, but it's slightly different. And yet, this applies on both levels, whether personal or corporate community level. Listen, worship must come before warfare. The high praises of God needs to be in our mouth. And you will discover that God inhabits the praises of His people. There is a shout of a king amongst us when we are praising God. Praise and worship brings God down. And when we have the high praises of God in our mouth, we can have the two-edged sword in our hand and we can run the devil through. No retreating. We're not talking about carrying in the corner from the enemy here. We're not talking even about defending ourselves only. We're talking about advancing and taking ground for the Lord Jesus Christ. The only safe place resisting Satan is on redemption ground that has already been won and moving forward into new ground. Now, there's a bit of a debate whether the, the soldier had any protection on his back. I've heard different views. Some say the breastplate went right, right to the back as well. I'm, I don't know about that. But all I know is that there wasn't as much defense for a soldier running away from the enemy as there was for one advancing with a weapon of offense, the sword of his spirit. Don't run away from him. I said the other night we should reverence the devil. That was probably the wrong word. I should have said we should respect him. We should respect him and not throw vain accusations at him, reviling accusations as some did and came a cropper because of it. Not even the, arch the archangel Michael would bring a railing accusation against Satan over the bones of Moses. So if he didn't do it, I don't think we're in a position to do it. But in Christ, we don't have to kowtow to the enemy. In Christ, we are more than conquerors. Adorned in the army, our, our armor of God, we can go in the power of the Lord, strong in the strength of the Lord, and with the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, which is Jesus Christ, we can overcome the enemy. We don't have to be humble before Satan. We be humble before God, but not before Satan. Well, it's wonderful, isn't it? But what exactly, let's be more specific, what is this sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God? Well, literally... Literally, it could be translated the sword of the Spirit, which is the utterance of God. You say, well, what's the difference there? Well, I've mentioned logos, which is found in John 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, to describe Jesus. But the word that's used here in Ephesians 6 is not logos. It is the word rhema, R-H-E-M-A, which means the spoken word of God, Not the personification of the Word of God, Logos, but the spoken divine utterance of speech. Literally, it could be translated as saying of God, the words that come from God. Now, this is a vital distinction. This is not the Bible. The Word of God being spoken here is not the Bible. When the devil comes at you, you don't throw the book at him. Or... You don't quote Genesis to Revelation. Now, you can't even quote Ephesians 6 tonight, so you're hardly going to do that. But, <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? What is being I know the Bible is living a sharp two-edged sword, but what the Holy Spirit is specifying here is the spoken Word of God that God gives you in the heat of a particular battle. And this is why this is not the broadsword. This is the short cut and thrust sword that a legionary would have had a whole armory of. He would have a different sword for a different job in battle. You with me? And this is your armory. This is the armory full of those short cut and thrust dagger swords 
those words of God that you need for a given time at a specific uh, circumstance. When you need to speak the word of God in the midst of the battle with Satan to defeat him. Now, what does this actually mean? Well, it means, first of all, using appropriate scriptures given to you by the Spirit to drive away Satan. Appropriate scriptures. You know what I mean? Not the whole book, but that verse that needs to be used. Incidentally, that's what the Lord Jesus did in Luke chapter 4. In his own temptation, 40 days, 40 nights in the wilderness, facing the devil, there was three temptations that came to him, and what did he say to each of them? Well, it is written. Say it. It is written. Does anybody know where those three verses he quoted, what book in the Bible they were out of? Deuteronomy. How many of you regularly read and memorize the book of Deuteronomy? Huh? But you want to look at those verses. They're powerful verses. Now, Jesus, of course, as a Jewish young lad, would have probably memorized a great deal of the Torah, if not the whole lot. But look, it's basic computing, and I don't know an awful lot about that, but input means output. And you can't... I know that the Holy Spirit, and he's done it even in my life at times, he's brought a verse that I didn't even know was in the Bible, out. And then I looked it up, and I found it was in there. But generally speaking, that's not the way it happens. He expects you to do the input. You need to feed on the Word of God, the truth of God, so that when the Holy Spirit needs one of those cut-and-thrust daggers to face the enemy, to hand to you. It's the Holy Spirit. He's your swordsman. He hands you the dagger that you need. And it's helpful if you've already got it in the armory for Him to bring out when you need it. So put in the Word of God. And can I say something to you? I almost got into trouble. I get into trouble quite a lot. But one time I saw these folk, young ones too, it's always the young ones, isn't it? They were sitting with these electronic phones or tablets and they were fiddling away and I thought, I ain't going to have to say something here. They're, I don't know what they're doing, FaceTiming or Facebooking or tweeting or whatever and playing Angry Birds or something. I'm trying to preach here. But they're on the Bible, of course. And I resisted. I didn't say anything. But I was so in the past. But listen, I'm not against technology, but I'll tell you this. And I told my daughter this the other day when she was wanting to take her tablet to church. I'm not saying anything against that if you want to do it. But she's not learning where the Bible books are. She's not learning where the books are. She's not learning to find it in the Bible. And, And I'm not against technology, but that's a danger. We're not knowing where to find everything. We need to be familiar with our weapon. Any good swordsman is familiar with his weapon. We need to get this book into our our hearts so that the Holy Spirit can bring it out when He wants and when we need it. And can I say something to you? Here's a verse that that I hear uh, quoted ad nauseum in, in evangelical prayer meetings across the whole land. Your word will not return unto you void, but will accomplish that word to you have said it. And everybody goes, Amen. Everybody goes, Amen. Then we all go out and we hear the sermon and everybody goes away and nothing happens. But we claim that verse. And we're giving out thousands of tracts left, right and centre all over the countryside. And we're, 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 do you believe? Do you actually believe that all those are going to re- have fruit returning to them? I don't. That might shock you, but I don't. Because if it did, I think it would be a bit of a difference in the place, wouldn't there? I mean, if a farmer went out and was sowing that type of seed and got no harvest, he would stop sowing that type of seed. You know what the problem is? That's not what the verse says. You look at Isaiah 55. It says, My word which proceeds out of my mouth shall not return unto me void, but shall accomplish that whereto I have sent it. That wee bit always drops off. Do you remember what Jesus said? To one of the temptations, when Satan said, turn these stones to bread, he said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Is that what he said? What did he say? But by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. What this is, is the rhema word of God. Thank God for this infallible book that we have. But in the battle... And I believe in ministry, we need the spoken word of God, the prophetic word, 
that God is speaking at this moment of time for this day and generation and history for you in your specific battle and problem. There's a word from God for you. Are you with me? That's why so much preaching is bringing so much death. We've got to be real here. This is why this is happening. Because they're giving the word of God out, not in the power and unction of the Holy Spirit. And the letter brings death, but the Spirit brings the light. And they're not bringing the word from God's heart. They're just bringing a passage. And I believe in expository preaching. I've been doing it this week. But listen, I do believe it's also foolish to just think you can take passages of the Bible and hold books and just fly your way through them. And, and, and that's all you need to do. That's part of what we need to do. But we need to find out, Father, what is on your heart? What is the word that this people need to hear? What is the word that our nation, the church, needs to hear? What is the spoken word that is going to damage the enemy? But it is important to speak God's word. If we, we know God speaks it, we are called upon, it's spoken to us, right? It's the utterance of God prophetically for us to speak. God is the one, the Holy Spirit, who takes that one dagger that we need out of the armory. He places it into our hand, but we're the one who has to then deliver it to the enemy. And we do that by speaking. By speaking. I have hinted at this in previous nights, the importance of confession with the mouth. We need to remind ourselves that Satan is a, a created being. And often we attribute to him certain characteristics that only God has. You know, we think he can be everywhere. You know, and I know we use the, the term generally, we say, oh, Satan was giving me a hard time today. But it's very unlikely that Satan was giving you a hard time because Satan can only be in one place at the one time. And I know he's always in our house. <laughs> no, not quite. But you know what I'm trying to say? He has a network, as we said in, in verse 12, all these principalities and powers and rulers and demons and so on. That's who do his bidding. But he's not omnipresent, and neither is he omniscient, which means all-knowing. He doesn't know everything, and he doesn't know everything that's in your head, unless he's got an inside man, which sometimes he does. But he doesn't know everything that you're thinking. So, you see, when, as I said the other night, when you're in Asda's shopping queue and the devil comes at you, and you go in your head toward him and quote verses in your heart or whatever... He is not obliged to hear. Now, I'm not suggesting that there's not some kind of communication in the Spirit that he might get. I don't know about that. But I do know this. God give you a mouth. Hmm? Speak the Word of God. Now, you don't need to shout it all over the, the, the shopping mall. You even need, if you just whisper, He hears you. Get behind me, Satan, in Jesus' name. And come at him with the truth. Come at him with the truth. Replace the lie with the truth of the word of God. Whatever God gives you at that moment to, to cancel out the lie, you do it. You speak it. There is a great power in confession. I was reading, any of you read Word for Today? Bob Gass's Word for Today, UCB. Any of you? Well, do you remember what was said today? Faith is the substance of things hoped for. The Bible says, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. It's in hearing yourself declare God's word that your faith grows. Does it say faith comes by the word of God? No, it doesn't. It says faith comes by hearing the word of God. But what better way to hear it than speak it out? And the other evening we, we proclaimed what the Word of God says the blood of Jesus does for us. Do you remember? We were putting on the shoes of the gospel of peace. And what verse did we quote? Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. We overcome the dragon, the serpent, the accuser of the brethren by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And what did I say the word of our testimony was? What the Bible says the blood of the Lamb does for us. That's the sword of the Spirit. And there's a power proclaiming that with our mouths. Could I encourage you in your quiet place when you're reading the Word of God to proclaim the Word of God? Say it out loud and claim it for yourself. There's great power in that. We're so passive at times. We're so lethargic. And I, I like relaxing in the presence of God because sometimes that's the only place I feel relaxed. 
and there's a place for just resting by faith. But there's also a place for rising up and declaring, shaking the cobwebs off and stirring ourselves up to pronounce what the word of the Lord says. The high praises of God in our mouth and a two-edged sword in our hand. And the devil hates it. He hates it. Can I ask you before I move on, do you know how to get a rhema, a rhema word from God? Do you? Well, you'll not get it sitting watching the television 24-7, that's for sure. Well, you, God can speak, maybe. But you really would need to read your Bible. You really would need to study the Word. But we've got such a mechanical concept, you know. Read your Bible, pray every day. You know what you need more than anything? You know what you need every day? You need manna. You need bread from heaven. You need a rhema word from God. Listen, it doesn't matter, and I, I think you should read through the Bible now, but it doesn't matter how much of the Bible you read on a daily basis. You seek, you practice the art of listening for the word of God. Don't play Russian roulette with the Bible. You know Bible roulette? It's like sticking the tail on the donkey. You just open the Bible and then look. Or one of these promise boxes, you pull out some. That's Bible gambling. I'm not saying God can't speak to you. But have consecutive reading. But look for the, listen for the voice of God to your situation. Have you ever experienced that? Where a verse just seems to just leap out of the page at you, for you, for your circumstance. Now what do you do with that? Do you think, oh that was nice. And away you go your business. Or do you take it and take it out of the sheath? And do you take it to God in prayer and claim it by faith? Do you exercise your hope over your emotions in it? And do you take it to the enemy and pronounce it to the enemy and say, this is the word of God to you, Satan. Take a pen and paper when you're reading the Bible and listen for the voice of God. Listen for the word of God to you. And God has given me verses this week for these meetings. And I haven't shared them with you. But God has been giving me words that I've been pleading before the throne of grace. A rhema word. That's what you... Some of you here tonight, maybe you need direction in your life. You don't know what decision to make. Where to turn? There's a crisis. There's something you need to overcome. You need a word from heaven. Will you come and seek it? Will you just come before the Lord and say, Lord... Would you give me that word that I need? And wait on it and you'll get it. And then take it to God and turn your prayer into praise and praise him for it and thank him that he's going to come through for you and take it to the enemy and thrust him through with it. Quickly. Anybody know what the secret weapon is? Come on. Huh? Shout it out. Prayer. The number seven is an important number in the Bible, right throughout. And so I have a hunch that this is the seventh piece of the armor, and it's found here in verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end, with all perseverance and supplication for the saints. All prayer. And what is that? It's keeping in touch with HQ, headquarters, the command center, the direction of operations. And, and it's a two-way Communication, often our praying is a monologue, you know. We go through this rote and ritual and recitation. That's not what prayer is. Prayer is communion. It is a, a two-way communication. We have to be listening as well as speaking. And it is a vital weapon in spiritual warfare. Now, if I had had time, I could have talked to you tonight about how that applies to the church if you look at chapter 3 of Ephesians, verse 10. The NIV reads, His intent, God's intent, was that now through the church the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly realms. That's wonderful. 
The church has got a job to intercede between God and this world in order to see his kingdom come as will be done, what God intends to be loose on earth loose, what God intends to be bound on earth bound, and we have so much power, our weapons of warfare are mighty through God to the pulling out of strongholds, every imagination that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And when we come together as the church, not the Presbyterian church, or the church of Iron church, or the Baptist, or whoever else, but the church of Jesus Christ, when we come together as the body and we start to plead and use our weapons, there's great power. And even principalities and powers, ruling spirits that are pulling the strings of nations have to sit up and take note when we use our power. I wish we did it and we're not doing it. We're not doing it in our land. But personally speaking, there's a great power. Look at this secret weapon, praying always. Now, what does that mean? There's nobody walking around 24-7 praying every minute of the day now in a conscious way. So what does praying always mean? It means a way of life, a constant communion, the opposite of prayerlessness. You see, prayer, rather than simply an action, is an attitude, an attitude of heart abiding in the Lord Jesus. And sometimes we're walking around with disturbance, we're walking around with anxiety and fretfulness and all sorts of angst within us. But the Lord doesn't want that. He wants us to walk around knowing that there's this constant communication, that our hearts are connecting with heaven. We're abiding in the vine. His words abiding in us. Is that what you know? Praying always. Practicing the presence of God. It's not easy, I know, to start with. And everything's against you, but I'll tell you, it'll revolutionize your life if you practice the presence of the Lord with you, praying always. Then you're not conscious of Satan's presence or the presence of self or the presence of your own sins. You're conscious of God, and he's bigger than all those. And he drowns them out. And then it says all prayer, praying always with all prayer. What does that mean? All sorts of prayer. That's varied prayer. Because there's all different types of prayer that we can't go into tonight. Praise, thanksgiving, confession, waiting on God, listening, interceding, Scripture, praying Scripture, singing. That's a, that's a form of, of prayer, singing. The Psalms, you Presbyterians know all about that. We've lost that, singing the Word of God. All types of prayer. And then there's supplication. Now, it's specific. Specific requests. We need to be pointed and directed in what we're asking God for. What is it you need? How do we pray? We pray so generally, Lord, bless the missionaries. Huh? Lord, bless the persecutors. What? Be specific. Pray for a missionary and for a particular need. But pray for what God lays on your heart and be specific about it and say, Lord, this is what I believe that you want me to ask you to do. Look further. In the Spirit. This is to be prayer animated by the Spirit rather than merely the soul and the flesh. And we talked about that. Not just what comes into your head or what comes into your emotions, but what the Holy Spirit's leading. And sometimes that needs a waiting period to find out what the Holy Spirit is telling us to pray about. Do we pray Cook's Tour of the World or do we pray what the Holy Spirit wants us to pray? Or worse still, are our prayers soulish in that they're on a horizontal level. Now, you go to your average prayer meeting and you will witness this. What am I talking about? You will witness soulish prayer, which is intellectual. And I'm exaggerating, but Lord, you remember that in the book of Genesis you created the world. But you know people who give you a Bible study and prayer, reminding God of what he did and what he said in the Bible. Now, we have to pray Scripture, but some people are preaching when they're praying and they're displaying their own knowledge. It's intellectual. It's on a mental level. It's soulless. Some people are praying emotionally. We talked about turning uh, cares into prayers, but how the opposite can be true. We can turn our prayers into cares and we can get all uh, uptight in our praying. Lord, Lord, please, 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 I'm desperate, desperate. And I know that when we're overwhelmed, as, as the minister said, we cry unto God, but we must turn it into faith. We must turn it into hope. We must beware of being on a purely emotional level, and we must beware of attacking others in our prayers. And that has happened so many times in prayer meetings. Getting at somebody in the meeting through your prayers. And it might be with good intent that you're trying to enlighten them or help them, but it's soulish. We need to be praying in the Spirit. But look, fourthly, watching. Verse 18, watching. We need to be alert. 
No, there's a battle on. No, the attack of the enemy. And then fifthly, with perseverance. There's got to be a persistent determination. I love those parables that Jesus taught. You know the one about the, the persistent widow who came to the judge and he got so fed up with her persistent, insistent begging of him that, that he gave her what she has. Now Jesus is not telling us that God is tight-fisted. He's not. It's, it's, it's a contrast. God so much wants to give us. And if we would only have a little bit of insistence, ask and it shall be given unto you. And the, the tense is keep on asking. Seek and you will find. Knock. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking and the door will be opened unto you. God loves insistence on persistence. And even the book of Isaiah says, give him no rest. And then for all the saints, finally at verse 18, for all the saints, there's a unifying objective here and we could talk about Christian unity and we need more of it, and it's got to move to more than just a Bible week. I'm just being honest with you. There's got to be more Christian unity than, than Bible week. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. And one of the greatest expressions of love is intercession, praying for one another. But just analyze for a moment your own prayerfulness. And be honest, and I'll be honest with myself. If you can even get to prayer... What? That's a struggle in itself, isn't it? If you can even get to prayer, it's often me, I, mine. Huh? And it's often very selfish, isn't it? And we don't often pray for others. For all the saints. Now quickly, I want to bring all this together. Look, look with me. This armor is Jesus Christ our Lord. It's God's armor. But it is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. It's a picture of him. The belt of truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. John 14, 6. The breastplate of righteousness. He is our righteousness. He was made sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. The shoes of peace. Ephesians 2, 14. He is our peace that has broken down the middle wall of separation. The shield of faith. Galatians 2, 20. Paul said, that I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. The helmet of salvation. Simeon rejoiced to see the salvation of the Lord in that little babe at the nativity. He is our salvation. He is our deliverer. And He is our hope. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 3. Whoever has hope in Him purifies himself even as He is pure. And he is the Word of God, the Logos in the beginning with God and was God. And you know what you're being asked to do at the end of this series of meetings, as I conclude tonight and I conclude the whole of the week, you are being asked to put on Jesus Christ. Will you look with me as I close at Romans chapter 13? Romans chapter 13. Now listen, you, you want to ram a word? I think some of you will get it just now if you're open, if you're ready to receive. There'll be a ram of word for you. Listen. Listen for the voice of God. Romans 13, verse 12. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. The armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. I try to put on the armor of God every day. Every day. Remember, these are life conditions. But almost every day, I pray St. Patrick's breastplate. Christ, a light to illumine me and guide me. Christ under me. Christ over me. Christ beside me on my left and on my right. The secret is putting off the works of darkness. 
and putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's Christ. That's what this armor. Christ is all in all. Will you put him on tonight? Will you adorn this armor of light to go into the dark world and let your light shine that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven? Let us pray. I know we've covered a great deal, but really all I want you to focus on right now is that rhema word, that rhema word that God has spoken to you tonight. Has God spoken to you this evening about something? Maybe it, it was a previous night, but you haven't responded. Or maybe it was tonight, and God has come and, and said something into your life that really needs his help. Would you be willing, as so many have done this week, to respond and to confess such by just raising a hand? Is there anyone in the meeting tonight and you want to get saved? You want to become a Christian? You're not a born-again believer and you've been in the presence of God tonight and on previous evenings and you know God's real, even though these haven't been evangelistic and gospel-preaching meetings. You've met the Lord. Is there anyone who will just say, tonight... I want to get right with God. You might have been a member of any church. I don't care how long, but you know that you're not right with God tonight or you want to make sure. Is there anyone in the gathering? Just raise your hand and say, I want to be saved tonight. I want to be sure. I want to be secure. Just heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Slip your hand up and down and I'll see it. And we'll pray for you and pray with you in just a moment. Are there any? Raise it high enough so as I can see it and hold it up long enough. To give me a chance to acknowledge it. Are there any? Are there any who would class themselves as being backslidden? And you need to come back to the Lord. You've let the, the devil overcome you. Is there anyone? And you want to return to the Father. Is there anyone tonight? Just raise a hand. Is there anyone? Are there any that God has specifically spoken to tonight regarding the message over the sword of the Spirit and your need to, you've neglected the Bible, to give more attention to reading, but more than just reading for intellect's sake, but imbibing, eating, feeding on Christ and the Word. You realize you've neglected it and, and you're determined tonight to now cultivate a listening relationship with the Lord. Maybe that's why prayer has been so difficult. It's been one way for you. You're going to now listen for that word. And you, you have a particular need that you need a word from God for to get victory in. Is there anyone who will say, tonight I'm going to ask the Lord to help me now and I'm going to endeavor by his power to use the sword of the Spirit well and to listen for his word to me day by day, by which I will live. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word. That's how you get by. That's how I get through, is hearing from God. Is there anyone who will say, yes, that's going to be the way for me? God bless you. Is there anyone else? God bless. God bless you. Anyone else? People putting their hands up around the building. God bless you. God bless. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Will you pray now with the Lord? Just pray to the Lord, whatever your need is. If you haven't indicated and you want to get saved, just say, Lord, save me now. I repent of my sins and I believe Jesus died for you and I ask you to save me now. Make me your child. If you've got an issue, confess it before the Lord and renounce it. Renounce Satan and all his works. Surrender to Jesus as Lord and claim the power of the cross and the resurrection in your life and ask him to fill you with the Holy Spirit. One of the biggest things that people are lacking today in the church is the dynamic filling of the Holy Spirit. Whatever you want to call it, you call it. But it's real. It's real. And we can't get by without it.
Whatever your need is. Is it that rhema? Is it that word? You ask God for it and then start looking and listening for it. And just go about your normal business and go about your normal reading and God will give it to you and then you come to him with it. Maybe he's already given it to you tonight. Will you bring it to him? Claim it in this place. God is meeting with folk just now. You respond in your own way to the Lord. If you need help afterwards, there's a ministry team, there's myself. Please wait behind. Hard to close the meeting. But let's close it by saying St. Patrick's Press, please. After I just pray, Father, you see your little ones here who are struggling in this battle. Lord, have mercy. And meet them just now by grace. Pour out your spirit abundantly on them and help them come to you and meet their needs, whatever they may be and fit them with the panoply of God from head to toe. Cover them. Cover us tonight by the power of the blood of Jesus Christ and his armor and his person. Let us make no provision for the flesh, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.